0: Anchines. Press bar marked visual Playback." Appropriate replies. Watching. 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 Watching.
1: Watching. Working. Watching. 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 Watch.
0: Uh, if You guys are just joining me for the first time. This is uh, living in the new renaissance. Uh, I'm Darren uh, Today I have on uh, dr. Carly Howitt and uh, dr. Carly Howitt is uh, the D- deputy principal investigator with uh, The New Horizons program and she's specifically in charge of an instrument on there, which I've doing my research here a little bit There's seven from what I understand seven main instruments and she is the lead on the Ralph instrument, if I understand.
1: Uh, so I'm actually the deputy principal investigator of Ralph. So I'm, I'm the second in command. Um, the, the PI of Ralph is, is Kathy Olkin. Of course, the PI of New Horizons is, is Alan Stern. Um, so I'm mainly interested in, yeah, the, the color Im- camera and the um, spectral imager. So.
0: Okay. So I'm going to – I just uh, apologize again because I just finalized the question about maybe – uh, half to three quarters of an hour before we uh, did all this because I had one that was just kind of bugging me a little bit But I'm just gonna start off uh, right off the bat just by going and asking um, uh, Carly if I can get a little bit of background like uh, uh, Who is Carly Howitt? Uh, what do you do as a planetary science uh, scientist and uh, with New Horizons?
1: So uh, my background's in, in planetary science. I did a physics undergraduate and then s- sort of moved into space science. Uh, I look at icy worlds in the outer solar system. So mainly moons, actually, of targets. So uh, Jupiter's moons and um, Saturn's moons. But I also do um, work on new horizons. So Pluto and particularly Sharon, I've, uh, I've done some work on. So uh, that's sort of my research interest. Um, on new horizons, I have... Uh, a bit more of a sort of spacecraft involvement. So I do some of the observation planning and the calibration of the instruments. So it's sort of the nitty-gritty, nuts and bolts work, but it enables us to get um, a really great data set from that instrument.
0: And when I was doing a, a little looking into uh, into it, I was actually surprised to discover that Ralph has two instruments, if I believe, on board. That's right.
1: That's right, it's a bit of a two for one deal, Ralph. Um, so there's one, one part of it is the color images. So if you've seen any color images of Pluto or, Pluto or Pluto's moon Charon, um, those all come from um, MVIC, um, which is the color camera on, on Ralph. The other part of it is a spectrometer. So that really deals in sort of squiggly lines in the infrared. And so from there we can determine composition. So both parts are sort of aimed at composition usually things of different that are made up of different things look different colors um, And they also have different absorption and emission features So we can sort of by combining these two cameras we that the aim of Ralph is to really dig into what a target's uh, composition is
0: so in one way um, The one instrument provides the true color of what you're looking at and the other provides uh more of an expanded view of it, and sort of like an a, uh, anal graph in one way, uh, just with one, Im- or one instrument providing what we normally see and then one providing more background images?
1: So the color camera doesn't really give you true color in the sense that if you're sitting on New Horizons, the way that Ralph reports it doesn't isn't reflective of your eyes because there's actually no green channel so uh we actually but we see a little bit more into the infrared than uh you would with your eyes so but it does give you a really good idea of what color looks like and actually from that we can pull out what it would look like if you were sitting there with your eyes but your eyes are great for navigating the world around you but not necessarily for really investigating the outer solar system and so we kind of have pushed the color the color bounds of ralph a little bit and and yeah you're right the the the, um, the spectrometer it kind of gives you a slight, it's a little bit more complicated to um, determine you have to really understand how different molecules like water and other ices will operate in that part of the system, where they absorb, where they um, are good at reflecting, and so um, and by knowing that and modeling what you think the surface is made of and comparing it to the results, you can get a really good idea of what the surface is made up of
0: so in one way, uh, just so somebody may not be aware of it. If you ever have uh, seen light go through a a window or through a crystal or a prism you'll see how it's split off into various uh, colors almost like a rainbow and that's more or less what um, the spectrograph is in a way everything reflects back and they'll reflect back and give you sort of a certain light pattern and that helps to determine the um, the makeup of an object if I understand correctly,
1: everything has its own sort of fingerprints. You could think of them as wavelengths, at which it's very good at reflecting wavelengths at which it's very good at absorbing. And if you understand what those fingerprints are of, of different molecules and you understand what light is coming off of an object by comparing the two things, you can figure out what it's made up of by looking at these fingerprints.
0: Cool. So in a way it's almost like going and taking a, like a garden trowel or something and digging into the dirt and seeing what's kind of there, just done with light. Yeah,
1: it's kind of just um, just a different way of doing it when not when you're especially when you're not on the surface and able to dig in it's a good way of figuring out the composition
0: and especially when you're going by as fast as you are (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) like
1: yeah there's no stopping (laughs)
0: exactly
1: 14 kilometers per second is hard to slow down from
0: in a way it's almost like grabbing like the old uh, railways uh, grabbing mailbags from posts as they go go zooming by with the trains
1: Uh, sort of on a on a much faster scale
0: (laughs) exactly Okay, so what I'm going to do then is go and ask the, uh, the next question one, which was, like, I, I've mentioned this uh, in a couple of videos now previously, that when I was a kid, I was about, let's um, say my grade, um, grade six year, I had a great science teacher. And my science teacher had me thinking about something that I had was never aware of before. Well, I shouldn't say never aware. I saw it, but I didn't observe it. And that was that, I always saw the same face on the moon and I never understood why I always saw the same face. And he explained to me what tidal locking was. And all of a sudden for me, that was a major thing where this is something that I'd read in a book, but never really saw. And all of a sudden I saw it and understood it. And that's when I went through and I memorized, okay, the moon is 239,000 miles away and Mercury is 33 million and Venus is 67 million, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of went down the rabbit hole with that. And it was a life-changing moment for me, kind of a a watershed moment. So did you have one of those that uh, kind of set you on the path that you're on now?
1: No, I know lots of people do. And lots of people have those stories, but I always like puzzles. I like solving puzzles. I like thinking about problems and I, I always enjoyed maths and and that sort of problem-solving structure, and I think that's what pushed me into science was that I I was always terrible at writing essays <laughs> um And I I re- but I I like the sort of mathematical idea of or, or science sort of process where you You have an idea and you test it and then you you have a sense of whether that idea is right or not And then you try and test it again and you kind of keep testing something until it breaks And if it doesn't break then that points towards the idea that it's real and it's right um and so it was more of an enjoyment of that process uh, that kind of just pushed me down the science career. I, I grew up in the UK and you specialised very early. Um, by 16, I was really only studying physics, chemistry and maths. And that's just the way the process worked at that point. It's, it's a little more broad now, which is good. Um, but you're made to specialize very early. But for me, it was a no brainer that science was the right um, thing to go into. And, and space just has so many more mysteries. I, I work with a lot of people that do earth science and there you can quite easily, like you sort of say, prove your, whether you're right or not. If you determine that the surface temperature of the earth is, you know, 40 degrees Celsius or sixty degrees Celsius you know at the poles, and you 're probably wrong right because you can go to the poles and you can measure the temperature and we know it 's cold <laughs> so uh, I, I like the idea that um, there was just so many more fundamental questions in the outer solar system, and so I think that 's why I was drawn to it so it was kind of a, a series of processes, I think rather than like one like i don 't know like amazing moment that, that people can talk about to, but lots of people here talk about you know the, the landings on the moon being a big driver for them and These other sort of monumental science moments, Um, but but for me, it was more of a slower process than that
0: Yeah, when I was a kid one of the things that I remember looking at with a map of the solar system was you had um, Everything was nice clean lines It's like you had your sun as a big ball in the center and then you had this this visible line that went around the Sun And that was mercury and it had a visible dot You could see where the scale is so much more different, of course, and then you got up to Mars and you had this nicely defined band of asteroids and then et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to Pluto, of course. And then at that point, there was nothing else past that. And right. everything had no moons. And, you know, I think at that point they had thirteen, twelve, 12 or 13 around Jupiter. And things have changed so much since then. I think the last time I read, Jupiter itself had 67. And, they they uh,
1: keep finding them. <laughs> yeah. Like t- Saturn too. I think that's up to eighty something now. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. And of course, Neptune's just got a new one. Well, Neptune's always had it. We've just discovered that it has a new one too. So, yeah, the number of uh, discoveries that we're making, even about basic things like how many moons does does something have, is is expanding, which is kind of mind boggling that we don't even have a good feel for that yet.
0: Exactly. Like people are thinking, you know, with space, everything's been discovered. Well, no, it kind of hasn't. It's this is really the um, kind of the illumination period of this, we don't even know really what's out in our own neighborhood, let alone you know, hundred, billions of uh, light years away as such. So when you look at at all this stuff coming in about, yeah, okay, well, we got the Crab Nebula and it exploded in ten sixty six and it formed all this and and that, and then you realize that we don't even really know how the composition of our own solar system, you know, past uh, past Pluto as such. Uh, there's guessing about you know planet what they're calling planet 9 which personally I still think is not planet 9 because as far as I'm concerned Pluto is this planet 9 because that's it's, how I grew it's up. a very
1: inflammatory term. It was um, it was chosen for a reason that word
0: exactly mm-hmm. so. But I just thought you know, it would be One of the the nice things is that we're actually trying to shine a little bit of a flashlight into the dark as it were so I'm going to uh, go on to the next one which is just um what was the origin of ralph as an instrument on new horizons and well i we already covered an aspect of it but uh i'm just curious about the origin of ralph and that uh, there's a version of ralph that's going to be going onto the probe or onto a probe in the 2020s and uh will you be working with that team as well
1: um so start at the beginning so ralph um the new horizons ralph was the first ralph in that incarnation right so um, color cameras have of course been flown before but the sort of Ralph as we know it that this was the first time it was flown and it's subsequently been flown on other missions too. Osiris-Rex which just got to a, a comet has a version of Ralph um, on board and Lucy which is what I think you're referring to um, is a discovery mission, a NASA discovery mission that's going to go to the Jupiter Trojans uh, for launch in about a thousand days so it's coming up. Um and yeah, I'm the instrument scientist of, of that. So I'm using a lot of what we've already learned about um, New Horizons, Ralph, to kind of improve, right? I mean, that's what science does. It's research and development. So we're going to have a slightly different, a sort of a tweaked uh, filter. So we're not going to look in exactly the same colors. Um, different colors are, are more appropriate for different targets. So we've spent a little bit of time tuning those. And we're about to go into um, an important thing called critical design review, which is where we we kind of show NASA where we're at in the design and the build of it. So that's a really big milestone, and that's coming up at the end of March 2019. So it's coming soon. Um, so yeah, we're we're excited to refly Ralph, and Ralph has done amazingly well. I mean, New Horizons launched back in 2006, and Ralph has had, you know, all of the filters still work, both power sides work, you know, both instruments work. It's done amazingly well. Um, And so uh, it's it's, with that sort of great heritage. It's no wonder it's been selected again for other missions because it's it's really done a great job of working in very unhospitable cold you know <laughs> environments where largely it's been switched off and then we sort of turn it on i mean imagine having a camera that you, you you know shook around you bought pre-2006 you shook it around a lot in 2006 and then you turned it off and left it alone for the best part of you know nine years and then you expect to be able to turn it on and just take a bunch of photos that are once in a lifetime photos and it works oh excuse me yeah go um, ahead um just i'll just count I'll just call, sorry about that, um, right. and so it, so it's worked remarkably well. And so yes, it'll be it'll be on Lucy, where we we hope and expect it to work just as well.
0: So Lucy is going to explore. Uh, sorry, explore the um,
1: Jupiter Trojans. So these are populations that are the same. They don't orbit Jupiter, but rather they are the same distance from the sun as Jupiter. So they are ahead of it and behind it in its orbit. So you could think of it sort of leading the way and then Jupiter and then trailing the way. Um, and these are a very stable population. We've never gone to look at them, um, and so we don't really know that much about them. To be honest, we we know that there's, they have different um, what we call populations. So some look like other ones, and you can split those into a few different types. But we don't really know that much about them. We think they're left over from solar system formation. Um, a little bit like Kuiper Belt objects, which is part of the reason New Horizons has been so interesting. But there's sort of another piece of that solar system formation puzzle. And so by going and investigating them, finding out what they're made of, um, which Ralph, of course, will have a big big part of, um, we'll have a much better understanding of, of what that population looks like and how that whether that agrees with our current solar system formation models or whether that requires them to be tweaked. And we learn a little bit more about how, how we came from, how, how, we, how we're here to.
0: My understanding how the how it actually works is um, because my wife is a, a musician When you go and you pluck a, a string on a guitar as an example You get vibrations and that creates nodes and the the trojans seem to settle at the node points, sort of like the vibrate uh, the, the flex points on a string
1: Yeah, they're, they're a stable part of Jupiter's orbit So it's a bit like like, you know, you have resonances and you have resonances in, in music too and it's a sort of a stable a stable state basically they can they can hang out there for a very long time and we think that's what's happened
0: And my understanding is that earth also has those too so
1: it does yeah and mars does too and they're, they're very common in our solar system the population of jupiter Jupiter has a very large population as you might expect being the largest planet in our solar system It's very good at grabbing things that, that whiz by um, And so that's what makes them so particularly interesting now people of course are interested in Mars Trojans for different reasons and earth Trojans for different reasons again, but but Lucy specifically going to look at the Jupiter ones
0: cool Okay, so I'm gonna to move to the next one, which was um, What is the hardest thing about working in your field as a person like? Uh, what sort of things make you? Some days wake up and just make you feel like you want to pitch it in and then other days it just brings you the most amount of joy
1: Um to survive in planetary science. You have to work multiple things, right? It's not I, I work soft money basically So I, I I bid to NASA for grants and they choose them or don't choose them And if they choose them, then you've got money and that's a good thing and you can carry on your work And so it's that constant battle between Having to put in grants and spend that time writing proposals and the selection rates are really low and it takes a lot of time versus having to do the actual work that you're funded to do and and then feeling split again you know i work four different missions right now and um, sometimes like when we had a new horizons flyby of of MU 69 or pluto of course that's the one that takes priority and then you know as we get closer to lucy launch date that'll take priority and so i think it's sort of a balance between what what the biggest fire is you know what needs putting out because there's it, It's not a very linear job you have to sort of jump between things and you have to keep your eyes on lots of balls and and that does make it difficult uh it it makes it a, a difficult job um to not do more than full time, and so I, I try and work part time. We have a young family, and so sort of juggling all of those things. Plus, I'm in management. Plus, I have a young family. It's um, there's a lot of balls. So I, I heard a good analogy once. A friend of mine said, "Don't be worried about dropping balls. Just make sure you don't drop the glass ones." And so I think that's that's the hardest thing in planetary science
0: is keeping that's, all the balls in the air. That's, not awesome that's true
1: now. of a lot of people in a lot of jobs, but that's that's certainly true of my job.
0: Okay. Um, now if there's one thing about uh uh new horizons that um you're the most proud of what do you think that would be
1: i, I think making the color image of pluto that and and sharon that um just really enthralled the world i think um that was part of a very small team that i'm just gonna cough i'm sorry
0: oh that's Excuse fine <coughs>
1: oh i'm getting over cold um and so we made there was a very small team of us that stayed up late one night and um, we uh, we produced that first color image like i said we have we don't get like a pretty picture that comes down we have ind- images that are taken at individual wavelengths and then you piece those together to make that final image and, and you know from from a 2am da- data download to making an image that is released that goes viral it makes front pages of a newspaper many people across the world i mean the president retweeted it I mean, it was just this amazing phenomenon. It never happens in science, right? You you work diligently, and it takes a very long time. And never have I gone from a, a two a.m. new data to a you know six a.m. front page of all the the newspapers kind of thing um, in such a short time. So it was a, a great responsibility, um, and it was it was a great thrill. So I, a very big privilege. That's I think my 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 career highlight, especially for New Horizons, but I think a career highlight.
0: Yeah, that's one that that I was uh, looking at as well because I've been following New Horizons since before it actually launched. Because mm. when they had the contribute the uh, names to the CD, I went yep. through and uh, everybody I could think of, plus the team um, I used to work for Dell here in Apple, okay. and uh, everybody, all the names of the teams, everybody I could think of, uh, I put those names onto the CD. So I've been following it ever since then, thinking,
1: "Okay, oh great."
0: telling my, my son you know long after we're all dead and potentially even after the solar system goes away your name was still gonna be out there on a CD and he just kind of looked at me and went like yeah whatever." <laughs>
1: <laughs> different things resonate with different people that's
0: good exactly so <clears throat> okay yeah but I that was one of the things I remember looking at as well was the the image of, uh, of Pluto going oh that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> so if there was a way to have the public more aware of New Horizons and the various space programs, what would be the main thing that you'd like the public to know that scientists are hoping to achieve with uh, New Horizons and follow-up missions?
1: New Horizons has always been about exploring a part of the solar system that we knew very, very little about. It was you know, discovered in, in the 1930s. and Really, we've only really just started understanding its colors and its populations. Um, and so I think that's the big thing that we're really, it really is a true mission of exploration. We're going to an area of space that we've never been to before. And we're looking at different objects within that space. It's not like if you go to Mars, then you look at Mars the whole time, right? We're going to an area of space that is filled with different types of objects. And by exploring those different types of objects, we're learning so much about how, um, how our solar system formed, how accretion can happen. Accretion is this process whereby, small objects come together and make bigger objects is how we think solar system objects have formed, including the Earth. And yet we're going to be able to sort of almost time travel to go back and look at these very distant objects, objects that have never been changed by the sun. <clears throat> and they're the same now as they ever were basically since solar system formation. And so we're able to go and look at these processes in a way that we've never been able to do so before. And so it's teaching us a lot about this new region, of the solar system, but also about how our entire solar system was formed. and and, and New Horizons has flown by its two targets. Um, what it's going to be doing now is probably distant observations of these other targets. So um, that, that gives us a lot of information about these very small objects a long way from the Earth. They're very hard to view from the Earth because they're billions of miles from the Earth and small. Um, and so that's what it's going to be doing next. So really, NASA makes the next call. So what we do, the process for New Horizons next.
0: I'm really sorry. my voice. Oh, is that's broken. fine. Go ahead. <clears throat>
1: The process that happens now is we, um, we we basically come up with all the science that we think New Horizons can do in the next, say, two or three years, and we bid it to NASA, and NASA to do that cost-benefit analysis, right? It's taxpayers' money. Um, it needs to go through this review process, and that's what it does. And so that's what we'll be beginning to do. So we're just starting to pull together all of um, the new science that we could get out of New Horizons. Uh, We're trying to find another target. We'll probably need New Horizons to do so. Actually, the cameras on board New Horizons because it's so far um, from Earth are now much better than say Hubble is or those sorts of things. Traditionally, that's not been the case. We've relied very heavily on Hubble in the past, Uh, but now we'll have to, because we're just so far, we're going to have to switch to using New Horizons' onboard cameras. So there's a small chance that we'll find another target that we can get to, and if we do, then of course we'll try and do that. Um, But if not, it will be continuing to monitor the solar influence deep into space and any targets that we we can see. Um, And so... It's sort of in flux right now. We're not really sure what the next five years of New Horizons is going to look like. But needless to say, oh, we'll try and do as much science with it as we can.
0: Because one of the other things I was reading about, too, is that uh, the RTG, which is the uh, basically the power plant, it's a radioactive power plant that generates heat that, that uh, New Horizons uses to... Um, and I'm, I'm explaining this for the audience. I know you know this. But... <laughs> um, it's it generates the power from the horizons and and because it's a radioactive power source it'll actually go and decay as it goes along producing less and less energy is my understanding so
1: that's exactly right so we had less power at um, mu69 than we did at pluto um, because of this process is you know release the radioactive decay releases heat which is what we need to for power but that process (laughs) you know once it's once uh, once some of the molecules have decayed they don't go back again it's a sort of so eventually that the that, that power will continue to decrease. Uh, we've certainly got enough right now to run all the instruments we need to. We have to be careful. We can run, say, multiple things at the same time um, because of that issue. Uh, but uh, it, it will continue for for a long time. And so so we've got power, at least, you know, we're in good shape for the next little bit. But you're right, at some point it will run out Um the the next big disks if you're moving out from the kuiper belt is the ore cloud and and it'll be long gone by then uh we don't expect to for it to have a power that far out um but we'll certainly if you think about voyage and you think about the pioneers you know you still hear about those and, and those were launched you know i was born in 79 and and those were well on their way by that point and so they've they're still they're still trucking and we expect new horizons to do so too but at a very minimal you know power level at some point so it'll be returning information on the solar system particles and their fields and the, the influence of the sun and that's that doesn't take much power Downlinking it to earth takes a little more um and so uh oops. and so um and so that's what it'll be doing so you know of course we'll be just you know looking at the science you can get the, the resources in terms of fuel and also power that new horizons has are remaining right now we're in great shape um but yeah it, it is a limited resource and it, it will go away so yeah it's all part of, of juggling <laughs> juggling a deep space mission
0: exactly. we can't
1: of course use solar power we're just too far from the sun we wouldn't get enough energy to operate our instruments so this was the only op- real option to us and it's been great um but it you know, it has issues with it too
0: and that's that you're totally right I was sitting here thinking about uh, the the science that they're doing with Voyager right now on the uh, heliosphere which uh, mm-hmm. again if, if somebody's not aware of it, it, if you think of it as being like how far out the sun's influence kind of is and then beyond that that's interstellar space and yep. they passed that not too long ago, well officially passed it not too long ago that's what I'm op- actually hoping to see with uh, with new horizons before it gets to the point they can't. Uh, it can't generate enough power, and it finally goes dormant. So,
1: that's I. Th- I think we'll hit that no problem.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there about anything else you can think of, or you'd like to add? Because I think that's. Uh, if no, gonna- I'd
1: say just you know we're we're releasing new data all the time. New science results are coming out. That the science data will take about six months to download fully. Um, so just just keep an eye on um, our either our Facebook page, which is Pluto. Jhul. Edu. Or oh, this um, hashtag, which is ultimately flyby by for me 69 that the two things are kind of synonymous ultimately is um, MU69's nickname. So uh, just if you're interested, feel free to follow along and, and people regularly update those um, Twitter feeds next week, the week starting March 18th is a big conference week and so we have a new horizons press conference a week today and so there'll be some new results released there too so just be sure to watch that that's going to be broadcast on NASA news um, NASA TV so um, yeah be sure to follow along if you're interested
0: one thing I was kind of a little surprised about uh, this is just I found out why of course Um, Ultima Thule as a name when I heard about that and and I was waiting for the results I was going oh I sure hope that I don't hear Brian Blessed's voice coming through the speakers that's a really old uh, show called uh, Space 1999. They had him on as a guest, and they had the moon, which you know, horrible, horrible science. But the moon was flying by this planet that they called Ultima Thule, and Brian Blessed ha- you know hailed the planet, uh, the moon and invited everybody down, and it was kind of a weird, sort of Shakespearean, bad sci-fi roll-up. But it was kind of kind of a fun episode. So I was watching this, going, "Oh, I don't want to hear Brian Blessed's voice." <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, Brian would be fun, I'm sure. Well, we had we had Brian May, but I think maybe two Brian's would have been too many Brian's. I don't know. <laughs> Brian rested and Brian May would have been a lot of Brian's.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, it it certainly would have made things a little bit more dramatic because he was uh,
1: oh, a quite a true. lot of fun. He's wonderful, but yeah, that's uh, it's quite a booming voice he has on him.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, I'm gonna gonna close it here. So, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, And the best thing about it was uh, I actually didn't have to refer to my last two questions because uh, you actually had answered them in the process. So (laughs) that's cool. Um, But I really appreciate the amount of time you've taken. It's it's, uh, come up to about, I think, 45 minutes, and that's a very long video. And, uh, yeah, I got everything that uh, I was hoping to get.
1: Great. All right. Well, good luck with the podcast. And, uh, yeah, let me know if you have any more questions.
0: Sounds good, Carly. Thank you. Okay.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Back. Visualization. dear Automatically programmed. Nine. Select.
1: Eight. Seven. Six.
0: Five. Four. Three. With extinction. dear